Well, good morning. Or shall we say, Merry Christmas? Y'all didn't say it back. Let's do that again. Merry Christmas. That's so much better. It is a Merry Christmas here on July the 18th. Isn't that amazing? Now, we began this series last week, and we considered what it means to hold Christmas beyond the Christmas season, beyond December, beyond January. I wonder and I ask, what is it, where is it, how is it that we hold the message of Christmas beyond Christmas Day, beyond the Christmas season? How is it that we find Emmanuel, God with us, not just in December and January, but in February, March, April, May, June, and July. Seven months have passed. And we still hold a faith that proclaims Emmanuel. No matter where we are, no matter who we are, no matter what circumstance we find ourselves in, no matter the situation we find ourselves, God is with us. And for that we give thanks. We celebrate. And we're called to tell the world that God is with us, Emmanuel. Well, this week we want to take that in a different look. We want to consider what is the greatest gift. So I ask you, think about for a moment what's the greatest gift you've ever received? doesn't have to be a Christmas gift. can be a birthday gift, a wedding gift, anniversary. It could be just a gift for friendship, just a gift because. But what was that greatest gift you received? What is one that sticks out for you? Or what are those gifts that you hold dear and near to your heart? That memory, that celebration, that joy that you have received because somebody thought of you and thought enough of you to give you a gift. A gift that really meant something to you. What was it? What made it so special? What was its beauty? What was its value? What was its worth? What was its meaning? What is it that you hold and you cherish that gift? What makes it great? That's a question that we need to ask ourselves from time to time. Because it begins to tell us a little bit about who we are, and it tells us a lot about the relationships we hold. And for those people who give us gifts, and, and the people that we give gifts to, it tells something about those relationships, something tangible that we think about, that we cherish, that we hold on to. We want to express our love and appreciation, our thanks. And the simple exchange of a gift. I asked Kristen earlier, and she said that one of her favorite gifts at Christmas was a trip to Disney World that she and her sister were taken on by her parents. I asked earlier in our previous service, and I asked that congregation, what's your what's your favorite gift? What's the greatest gift you received? And, and one of our members 
was stepping up. He wanted, he wanted to answer so bad. And, and I knew this person. And I didn't want to ask him. Because I didn't know what he would say. I was afraid of what he might say. So I'm going to... See? You see? See? This is what I'm talking about. <laughs> so I'm not going to ask this congregation either. I want you to hold that. Hold that in your heart and in your minds. But hold the reflection there as well. Because these are important things. You know, when I was... Living in Dothan, Leanne and I, um, we were given the opportunity on occasion to, to travel uh, with a mission team. We went to, um, went to Brazil. And I had never really been outside the country. Well, I'd been to Canada. But really, that was easy. That was just driving across the line. But to go to Brazil, that's a, that's a nine-hour flight. This is not a jaunt down the road or across the line. This is, this, is an, this is an intentional trip. It took nine hours of a flight to get us there. And when we arrived, having never been out of the country, never been to Brazil, I was just floored. I was shocked. I, mean, my, I was just amazed at the beauty of this country, the beauty of the people in all of their differences from us, from, from the culture, the language, the currency, the, the architecture, everything about it was different from anything I had ever lived in. Everything about it. And it was wonderful. But we were there to work and not just you know, sightsee, but that would have been great too. But we were, they were there to work. We helped build a building. And what we were supposed to do was help start the building of a wall of a church building, an education building. And so when we arrived on that first morning and it was daylight and we could see the, the lay of the work site and, and, and there, were, there were trenches dug, the footers were being dug and, and, and there was a work crew there. We were supposed to work alongside. They were going to show us what to do and how to do and, and, and they were going to speak in Portuguese and we were going to look at them like we, they were speaking Portuguese and, and we did not. And so they said, this is what you're going to do. And there were about 22 or 23 of us there from our church. And, and they said, um, we need teams to do different things. There was a team that were, they, we called them the Twisted Sisters. It was a group of women, and they were tying rebar together. And we, we had a, another team that were pushing wheelbarrows across all over the work site. And, and, and I say wheelbarrows, that's a, that's a generous term. And, and, and they gave us tools where they said, here's the tools you're going to work with. And, and this team's going to, you're going to mix concrete. You're going to, you're, you're going to, we're going to, here's a, you'll see that there's a, there's a big pile of sand and there's a big pile of rocks. And, and here's the, the bags of, of the mix. And you're just going to put all that stuff together here in a stack. And you're going to go get buckets of water and you're going to mix all this together. And I'm thinking, well, there's no, no water hose? Nope. The water spigot's over there by the building. Here's three or four buckets. Go get the buckets and bring the water over. Okay, could we mix it over there by the water? I'm thinking there's easier ways here, folks. No, you, you just, you get a wheelbarrow. They gave me a wheelbarrow. It had broken handles and a flat tire. 
And they said, you're going to roll this over there, fill it up, roll it over, and you're going to dump it all out, and then you're going to mix it all up, and, you, and, the, and the, we'll bring a wheelbarrow over that has all the wet cement in it, and you'll put that in. Sounds easy enough. And they gave me my hoe that I was going to mix with, and they called it a hoe, and it had a blade, a metal blade, and the handle was about, I don't know, this long. So I'm hunched over this thing for about, I don't know, it seemed like hours or days, but it was really probably 15 or 20 minutes. And, and I thought, this is enough. There's got to there's gotta be a better tool. There's got to be a hardware store somewhere close by. We're in a city. Surely there's a hardware store. We can go get a hoe with a longer handle, maybe a little broader blade. We can go, I bet we can even, I bet we can get a mixer where we can put all this stuff together and then it'll just mix it up for us. And so I went to the, the, the minister who was leading the trip and I said, Wayne, you think we might be able to go and maybe get some more tools? Because these are sticks, man. And I said, maybe we can even get like a, a, you know, a, a, a mixer, a big mixer. We can, oh, we can knock this thing out. We can, we can spend a couple of days sightseeing. We can get this thing done. And he, he gave me that deep belly laugh of Wayne that I can't do. And he said, we're these people's guests. We're going to use what they use. We're going to live where they live, eat what they eat, and work with what they work with. We're not going to come in here and buy a lot of equipment. We're not going to bring our own equipment. We're going to use what they use. And I thought that was the craziest thing I had ever heard in my life. But you know, over the years, as I continually look back on that experience, there's a lot of wisdom in, that exper in Wayne's experience. There's a lot of theology in that experience. Wayne understood it. And he gave that to me as a gift. Now, I didn't understand how valuable that gift was at the time. Like I said, I, I thought it was the craziest thing I'd ever heard. My back's going to hurt for a week if I'm lucky. But oh, what a gift to be able to look back on and say, I identified with somebody who was different from me. What a gift to be able to just immerse myself in something different. To do something different. To do something that even looks and feels and sounds upside down to me. And when I read the Gospel of Mark in chapter 9, I begin to see more meaning in what this story is telling me. And I invite us now to hear the reading of the Gospel passage we find it in, in chapter 9, in, in, our, in our passage in the bulletin, it reads 33 through 37, but I, I want to back up just a little bit, because I want us to really understand what's happening here. In chapter 8, we're going to go back to chapter, we're going to read chapter 8 through chapter 9, I'm kidding, I'm not going to do all that. But I want to tell you in chapter 8, there's some important stuff happening. Chapter 8 of Mark, the gospel writer tells us that it's, in, that it's at this time that Jesus first predicts his, his passion 
his suffering, his betrayal, his death, and his resurrection. And then he, he leads his disciples and they, he leads them to Caesarea Philippi where Peter will confess that Jesus is the Messiah for the first time. He's probably speaking out of his mind. He doesn't know what he's saying. Maybe he's saying what he thinks Jesus wants to hear, but he doesn't really get it. And then Jesus takes them to this mount where they have the transfiguration, they have this experience of Jesus being transfigured before him, and they just, again, are lost and dumbfounded. They're in shock, and they don't know what to make of it. And so they're, they're making their way through this countryside of Galilee, going from town to town, and Jesus is teaching, and Jesus is healing, and offering miracles. And, and it's an incredible experience that these disciples are being able to follow and watch and, and experience with him. And word is beginning to spread, and, and, and word is out, well out in front of Jesus. And people are wanting to see, they want to hear, they want to touch, they want to, they want to experience what this rabbi, what this hopeful Messiah is doing. So we pick up in chapter 9, verse 30. And Mark tells us, They went on from there and passed through Galilee. He did not want anyone to know it. For he was teaching his disciples, saying to them, The Son of Man is to be betrayed into human hands, and they will kill him. And three days after being killed, he will rise again. But they did not understand what he was saying and were afraid to ask him. Then they came to Capernaum. And when he was in the house, he asked them, What were you arguing about on the way? But they were silent. For on the way they had argued with one another, Who was the greatest? He sat down, called the twelve, and said to them, Whoever wants to be first must be last of all and servant of all. Then he took a little child and put it among them, and taking it in his arms, he said to them, Whoever welcomes one such child in my name welcomes me. And whoever welcomes me welcomes not me, but the one who sent me. And this is the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Thanks be to God. This is a powerful moment. And there's a lot going on in this passage. That's the way Mark is. The Gospel of Mark, is a, it's just rapid fire. He, he, it's, it's, a, it's a lot happening, a lot happening very fast. The word immediately is used often in the, in the Gospel of Mark. There's just a lot going on. Mark is hastening the pace. And now as we find Jesus you know, walking and teaching in Galilee, the pace is just getting faster because everything is moving faster towards Jerusalem. Everything is moving faster towards his passion and his death and that resurrection. I don't know if the disciples could feel it. I don't know that we can always feel like the, the pace of life as it unfolds while we're in the middle of it. And probably they could not either. But life was certainly getting faster and more hectic. And then here in the Gospel of Mark... Mark tells us that he, Jesus wanted to set aside just some time, just some space, so he could spend that special moment to give his disciples a gift. 
just to be able to tutor them for a little while, to give them some, some, a bit of knowledge, a bit of understanding, to kind of unfold some of the stuff that's happening around them, the stuff that they're seeing, all these teachings, the miracles, the healings, all of this. They, need, they needed explanations. They wanted, they wanted some context. And so we're told that as they were traveling through Galilee, they began to discuss they began to debate. They began to argue which one of them would be the greatest. And all of this argument, all of this debate, this discussion is coming on the heels, on the heels of his prediction, two predictions that he will be betrayed, that he will undergo suffering and will die and will be resurrected. And we're told they don't understand it. Obviously, they don't understand it. They want to be the greatest. They want to be on his right hand. They want to go where he goes. But do they really? Do they really know what they're asking for? Do they know what it means to be the greatest? As Jesus continues to turn the world upside down, their understanding of the worldview is being flipped on its ear, and they're being tutored to see the world differently. It's beyond their understanding, their comprehension. It's, it's beyond their horizon. And it's probably beyond, beyond ours. Because think about it. Think about the question that Jesus asked. What were you arguing about on the way? Question to those 12 men any other followers. The question is for us. What are we arguing about on the way? On the way to where? On the way to Capernaum? On the way to the house? Maybe Jesus is looking further out. Maybe he's looking further down the road. Maybe he's looking at Jerusalem. Maybe this is on the way to Jerusalem. What are you arguing about on the way to Jerusalem? What are you arguing about on the way to the garden? What are you arguing about on the way to Pilate's house? What are you arguing about on the way to the cross? What is there to argue about? How are you going to be the greatest? What does it mean to be the greatest on this path? And Jesus, as only Jesus could, explains to them, tutors them on just what it means to be the greatest on this path, on the way. When he picks up this child out of nowhere, this invisible, nameless child just appears, and now Jesus places this child on his knee and embraces the child and says, He who welcomes a child in my name welcomes me, but not only me, but the one who sent me, God the Father. Now that's, that seems like a beautiful moment, right? Here are these 12 men gathered. They're embarrassed. They've been called out for arguing about something they don't really understand, for arguing about something they should not have been... Have you ever been called out before? you ever been caught doing something you shouldn't, you shouldn't have been doing? I have on oh, numerous occasions. Leanne... 
Yes, she's called me. She's called me out. You get kind of, I get kind of sheepish. I got all kinds of excuses. It's not a good feeling. These disciples didn't feel good in this room. So we have this seemingly, seemingly beautiful moment where Jesus puts this child on his lap and says, He who welcomes a child in my name. But really, this goes beyond beauty or a pastoral moment. See, a child in this time was little more than property. The child was only worth what the father thought the child was worth. They had no voice. They had no power. had no vote. They had nothing. They literally had nothing. They were the bottom rung in society. And Jesus says, you take the least, the one who's worth the least, and you welcome that person, and you welcome me. That's how you become the greatest. When we identify with and we welcome and we find ourselves in ministry, in relationship with those who are not like us, those who are not worth what we think we're worth. So when we place ourselves less than, when we place ourselves in servanthood to our neighbors, to our brothers and sisters, whoever they are, whatever they look like, whatever they do, whatever we think they're worth or not worth, when we put ourselves less than and we serve them, we welcome Christ and the one who sent Christ. And that's a tough lesson. It's a tough lesson for the disciples. It's a tough lesson for the church. But here's the beauty of it. It's a great gift. It's an awesome gift. Because no matter where we are, no matter where we go, no matter who we are, we can always serve. We can always look at ourselves less than and look at ourselves and see ourselves serving one another with love and grace. When we do that, we embrace this powerful gift, the greatest gift that humankind and all of creation has ever received. That's the love and grace of Jesus Christ, of God. Because Christ, who made himself less than and served all of us, offered himself to all of us that he might be betrayed. He would suffer and die on a cross and be resurrected to defeat and conquer sin and death for us, for me, for the whole world. And we can participate in that. We can be a part of that as we welcome those who aren't like us.
as we love God and love our neighbor, whoever they are, and wherever we are. Sometimes life looks different. Sometimes we show up at a work site and we're given a broken hoe and we think we can do it better. But sometimes in life, just being there. Being there with those who are working, who are doing the best they can and working with what they have to work with, that's the best gift we can give. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.